You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Welcome everyone to the Doc Lounge Podcast hosted by Pacific Companies. I am Stacey Doyle, Senior Director of Marketing, and will be your host today. We are very excited to have Colin Carr, CEO of Carr Healthcare Realty, as our guest. Carr's mission is to help all healthcare providers maximize their profitability through real estate. Colin is a real estate expert for healthcare professionals. His team focuses on commercial real estate, um, but will also be providing insights on the residential side of real estate as well. Colin, so nice to have you joining us today. I'd love to kick off and have you tell us more about your background and how you got into real estate focusing on the healthcare sector. Yeah, I appreciate it. So thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so again, yeah, my name is Colin Carr. Uh, I have been involved in commercial real estate for over two decades now. Um, I started originally uh, managing apartment complexes when I was 19 years old. Um, got into brokerage when I was in my early 20s. And uh, I first started out as a generalist. I did everything that I could. I did office, industrial, retail. Um, I did landlord work, tenant and buyer work. You know, if the deal moved, I chased it. Um, in 2007, 2008 timeframe, I started working on more healthcare medical type properties. And essentially the, the long story short for me is um, I was involved in a number of transactions where I was working for large, like international landlords, like very sophisticated landlords. And I was, I was doing landlord work on like medical office buildings, hospital campus buildings. And I had a couple transactions specifically where the doctors were unrepresented in the transaction and just got completely crushed by the landlord. Like the, the, the terms the landlords were able to force them into signing a lease for um, on a couple new deals, couple renewals uh, were terms that cost the doctors literally several hundred thousand dollars more than they should have been paying over the course of that lease. They were paying more, they lost out on, on build out allowances. Um, they were paying higher annual increases they didn't get the free rent that they should have received if they were professionally uh, represented. And so I had a couple of those transactions and I just, the light bulb for me came on that doctors need help. And, and, and these were, these were doctors that were extremely successful as far as the, the, the size of their practice, their profitability. They were great clinically. They just didn't understand the real estate process. And so I had a couple of new transactions, a couple of lease renewals. And so long story short for me, I realized that the healthcare community needs expertise in this area. They need a representation. So I started focusing more and more on healthcare. And I got to a place in 2009 where I launched uh, our current company, Car or Car Healthcare Realty. And all we do today is represent healthcare providers on the tenant and buyer side. So um, as we speak right now, I think we have over 4,200 clients that we're doing work for across the country. And it's anything with their commercial real estate, it's startups. Uh, additional offices, lease renewals, uh, purchasing land, purchasing buildings, purchasing office condos, anything that reg anything regarding office space for a healthcare provider, we handle and represent them on. And that's our model today. And, and we have the privilege of helping quite a few people per year now. I love that. I love to hear the history of how you got started and really kind of saw a need where you, you felt like, okay, 
these are people that are possibly taking being taken advantage of because obviously they're focusing on you know all their education and learning and providing the best you know care to, to their um, patients. So would love to hear kind of if there's some overall advice that you you know want to give um, to any physicians that are looking to potentially you know make a change of office or or even start their own private practice and are looking for for commercial space. Yeah, so I would start by just explaining. Um, what I think is obvious to some, but not to others, is that there's a lot of money on the line. I think a lot of healthcare providers just assume that they're going to, you know, they know they're going to be able to get a lease done or sign with a landlord or buy a building. But I think they just assume that the deal is going to be like, quote, good enough or fair. And, and that's not an accurate assessment. I mean, the idea is you can either you can either capture the most competitive terms possible where the landlord still wants to do a deal with you. They're still happy to do a deal with you. Um, but you got the best terms possible when it comes to the lowest lease rate, the lowest annual increases, the highest tenant improvement allowance, the highest amount of free build-out period or, or free rent upon opening, those concepts. Or you can do a deal where the landlord um, really capitalized and the landlord could actually make a couple hundred thousand dollars extra on the deal and, and you might not have any idea it's even happening. And people say, well, is there really that much money on the line? The answer is yes. If you're overpaying by a couple dollars per square foot, which is very easy to do when you're talking about lease rates in the 20s or 30s, triple nets like in the 10, 12, 15 dollar range, which are common lease rates. If you're overpaying by a dollar or two here or a dollar here, but your annual increase is a percentage higher than it should be, that adds up to literally tens of thousands of dollars per year or every few years. And then take it over a 10 year period, you can overpay at least by 200, 300,000 dollars like that. And so the first thing to understand is there's a lot of money on the line. And so if there's a lot of money on the line, the next thing I tell you is you want to have someone professionally represent you in the process so that they can help level the playing field. You're not expected to be an expert in the form of commercial real estate, no different than a patient would be expected to be an expert in your form of healthcare. I mean, the patient comes to you as the healthcare provider because you've been, you've been, you've been educated and trained and you've been practicing in a certain area. It's the same thing with commercial real estate. Even if you've done three or four or five deals in your career, that's different than the person who, who works on 50 deals per year has been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years or, or what have you. So those are some fundamentals there. And then specific details, I'll tell you this, when a landlord sees a tenant who's unrepresented, the first thing that landlord thinks is this person doesn't know what they're doing. And here's why. If you look at any Fortune 500 company, they have professional representation. They're either going to have outside representation or they're going to have a team of internal rate agents all they do is real estate. And so when an individual practitioner or even a group practice shows up unrepresented, the landlord thinks this, this group doesn't know what they're doing. Because if they were sophisticated, they would have someone here. It's the same thing if you don't have a real estate attorney to review your contract. The other attorney working for the landlord or the seller is going to say, you know, what is this person doing? Like this is a this is a million dollar, multi-million dollar transaction, and they're just kind of fumbling their way through it. So when a landlord thinks a tenant doesn't know what they're doing. It doesn't mean they're going to be rude to them. It doesn't mean they're going to be a jerk to them. It just means they're going to start, they're going to price things higher than they should be. They're going to make statements like, well, we, we've never done this before. We don't do this. And a lot of times, unfortunately, they're just lying right to that tenant's face, assuming they don't know any, any different. But here's the deal. If Starbucks is putting up a new location or doing a lease renewal, they have an internal real estate team and they have an outside real estate. They have two real estate teams in every deal working these deals. So does Chipotle. So does Charles Schwab. So does Lockheed Martin. So does 
you know, JP Morgan Chase Bank. Every sophisticated tenant has people helping them. And so emulate successful companies, hire people that that specialize there, just like you tell a patient, listen, I'm sure you can find a way to, to remove your own tooth, but I don't recommend it. There's there's a better way to do this. You, you go to a specialist who extracts the tooth uh, in, in the best healthcare or clinical way, et cetera. There's a way to handle a commercial real estate transaction from start to finish that positions you to win, to save a ton of money, to maximize profitability, to avoid pitfalls, and not to waste your time, which is very valuable. Handle it like the pros do, hire representation, and have a sophisticated strategy and approach to every transaction that you do. I think that's great advice. And I guess one of the first questions that comes to mind is how do you find somebody like yourself? Are you guys nationwide or what are what are some tips you can give to our physician community about how to find someone to represent them? Yeah, that's a great question. So th- the first answer is yes, we are nationwide and, and we would love to help anyone we possibly can, but I, I will remove ourselves from this conversation. Um, you need to find someone that you trust someone that you believe has a good strategy, somebody that doesn't have conflicts of interest. And I can explain that in a second. Uh, but the best way is you can search online. That's one way. You can ask other colleagues or providers that you trust. Um, another way is to ask key people that you work with. Like for instance, if you have a really good lender that you trust, they probably have a, a good recommendation of a person or two that does real estate. Um, if you have good equipment suppliers or technology providers or merchandise reps, a lot of times these contacts will know people in the commercial real estate industry. So you can ask other other partners you work with. You can ask uh, other colleagues or peers. You can just search online, you know, healthcare real estate agent or commercial real estate broker for medical or whatever, whatever the key terms are you're looking for. Once you get a name or a number or an email address, the best thing you can do is reach out to them and then just ask them some questions. Ask them, you know, what is your, what's your focus or expertise in the healthcare industry? Why would you be a good fit to help me in my transaction? Um, why are you better than, than some other agent? Or why, if I drive down the street, I see someone's name on a sign. Why, why would I talk to you versus just calling them? And one of the top things you're interested in, in, in identifying as a healthcare provider is that the person doesn't have what we call a conflict of interest. And what I mean by that is, you know, in any transaction for commercial real estate, you have the tenant or buyer side, which if you're acting as a healthcare practice, you're going to be as a tenant or buyer in that transaction. And then you have the landlord or the seller. And so if you're buying, you're going up against the seller. If you're a tenant, you're going up against the landlord. You want to make sure the person representing you is not also representing possible landlords of, of properties that you might be interested in or properties that are going to be selling in that area. And so one of the questions you can ask them is, do you have any conflicts of listings or are you pursuing any listings in the areas we're looking at? And if they're not exclusively tenant and buyer rep, um, or if they already have other listings there, they would be disqualified. And, and here's why there's, let's say there's five really ideal properties, like five really nice class A properties in the area that would be a fit for you. They have the square footage you need. It's the location you're interested in. And if the person who you're talking to representing you on the tenant or buyer side, also works for one of those landlords, um, they're eliminated instantly because they can't provide unbiased opinions or or advice to two opposing parties. It's kind of like if you went to court, whether you were on, on on the plaintiff side or the defense side, like you can't share attorneys, okay? Like the defense attorney can't also give the plaintiff advice. It's an opposing objective. You both have the desire to get a deal done, 
but the margin for which that deal gets done is a couple hundred thousand dollars and each side wants the best deal possible. So the best thing you can do is make sure that if you're talking to a commercial real estate agent or broker, it, 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 same thing for the, the terminology as far as who's representing you, uh, you want to make sure that person doesn't have any conflicts. They're not representing landlords or sellers in that area. Their company's not representing landlords or sellers in that area. They're not pursuing listings because what you don't want to do is have someone help you with the deal and then two months later you move in and then that same broker who was your agent now has their sign up in front of the building. They, they used your deal to get in touch with the landlord to become the next listing agent. If that happened, you can almost be assured that you left a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table. Got it. That's really interesting. I never, I never knew that. Residential, it's a one and done deal. Like, you know, they help you buy or sell commercial. Everyone's always looking for that next transaction. You know, they do a deal with a landlord and they would take that landlord to lunch. Do you need help with your property? Could I be your next listing agent? You want to avoid those conflicts of interest. Our company only does the tenant buyer side. We don't do any landlord, any seller work. And so we just eliminate that conflict from the very beginning. We thought that was the right move from the very beginning back at 09 when we started. It just, it just keeps it to where no one ever has to wonder, are we being as aggressive or thorough as possible with our clients? I, I don't have an interest in that landlord's future work. That's a, yeah, that's a very smart strategy that you guys took as a, as a business. I love that. Um, I would love to hear just, you know, if there's overall trends right now that, you know, um, you're seeing in, in medical real estate, you know, I guess really more on the commercial side of things. Yeah. So the current market is still very competitive. I know there's, there's, you know, questions about the residential market softening. Um, I, I really would tell people it depends on the market that you're in. Like in, in every city and every state, I don't care how depressed it is in certain areas, there's going to be some sub-markets for residential. It, if a house goes on the market, it's going to be gone instantly. I mean, they're just, markets Markets do vary significantly, uh, even just crossing a major thoroughfare or road. But as a whole, residential real estate is definitely a softening. Okay, you can look at the average or median sales price in different markets. Um, a lot of that is tied to interest rates that are going up, um, but also it's also tied to supply and demand. And so, you know, the more supply, the softer the prices, the higher the interest rates, the, the lower the prices. So residential is definitely softening as a whole in most markets. Commercial real estate as a whole is not softening hardly at all. It, it's staying very competitive. And that's because the supply is still very, very minimal as far as the amount of vacant space in most areas. Certain types of, of commercial real estate, like industrial, it, it is at all-time highs. Like the... the amount of people that want industrial distribution warehouse space and the amount of companies that need that that are pursuing that it's creating a market where it can the industrial real estate market which is not healthcare related but just to give you an example um, it's as competitive as it has ever been when it comes to healthcare real estate medical real estate hospital campus type space or retail space that a healthcare provider would want to occupy um, sub markets are softening a little bit, but as a whole, for the most part, it's as competitive right now as it has been the last couple of years. And so what that speaks to is, you know, it, it's not, it's not, you know, you have uh, a tenants market or you can do whatever you want, or, you know, you can force landlords to take any terms because they're just desperate for the most part, they're not desperate. They still, they still want to get competitive deals. Now, the advantage you have of your healthcare is that a lot of landlords over the last few years, as people did come and go out of business, they realized that medical and healthcare providers have one of the lowest failure rates of any type of tenant out there. We, a lot of retailers closed the door recently. 
A lot of large office tenants reduce their footprint, sh shrink their space, close down locations. A lot of landlords are privy to the idea or the truth that healthcare providers succeed at, an, at a very high level. They fail very rarely. And so if you leverage the fact that you're a healthcare provider, you can push landlords a little bit more aggressively than a standard office user or a retailer would push them. So it's a competitive market. There's still great opportunities. It's by no means a buyer's or tenant's market. So don't, don't be fooled into that one thinking that it's 2010. It's not, okay? Um, still a competitive market, but there's still great deals to be had. And um, what I'll tell you is a lot of landlords, um, although they might want to still capture really high lease rates because it's competitive market, they will give higher levels of concessions for good healthcare practices. So they might give you more free rent. They might give you a higher tenant improvement allowance or other concessions that are still very valuable to reduce how much money you put into a deal, how much you have to borrow, how much you'll pay at interest over a 10-year period. So if you're represented properly, if you have the right strategy, and if you present yourself favorably as a very, very good investment for that landlord, you can capture better terms than I would say a standard office tenant might be able to capture. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, just the stability that obviously, you know, medical practice can bring um, really should help you with some of the negotiating power. And that's really, I think that's a great, a great piece of advice for, for everybody listening today. Um, I was curious, are there any markets right now that are best in terms um, of value for, for new pra medical practices? Like someone was thinking of moving somewhere. Um. I would say it's it's really case by case. Like for instance, I could tell you like there's parts of like let's say Miami, Florida, where even during COVID, those landlords didn't flinch. Like they knew they had the premier properties. They knew that there was virtually no other available spaces, and and they didn't drop their lease rates even a dollar. They did add any concessions. They just said, hey, look, this is kind of a blip on the radar. We think the market's gonna rebound here once the world gets back in order. In some of those markets, they literally did change uh, a single thing. Um, other markets are a little softer. Um, and, and the markets that are a little softer, typically it's tied to when there's more inventory or when there's options to purchase land or build your own building. So for instance, like let's say you were in, like let's, let's say Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you were in a suburb of Tulsa. If there's land available to where you could go buy your own piece of ground and then build your own building, that's always going to present more competition for existing properties. And that in a market where it does start to soften, it'll soften um, at a faster rate than a market like Miami where you can't buy, there's no land to buy or the land is too expensive. So, you know, it, it is really case by case. I'm in the Denver, the Denver market, Denver, Colorado. Um, there's some suburbs where the lease rates today are as high as they've ever been in the history of Colorado real estate. There's other markets where maybe um, they're a little bit older markets and you know people are buying properties, tearing down properties, rebuilding, there's redevelopment happening. Those markets have softened just a little bit. But as a whole, um, I, I would tell people, don't get caught up as much in like, you know, can I get a steal right now? Or is there a, is, is there a bargain? Really, the question is, look, if you want to be in a certain area or if you're already in a certain area, the question for, for me is, how can we capitalize on your next transaction? Like, If you wanted to start a new practice, trying to time the market or, or, or wait for the market to dip to where you think you're going to save money is a really bad idea. You might sit on the sidelines for a year, five years, or it might not ever dip. And in that case, 
what's the priority? Saving $2 a square foot on your lease rate or opening your own practice and then you know building up a tremendous patient base and having a new asset. Uh, if you're an established practice, you don't have the ability to go on the sidelines. It's either you stay in practice or you don't. And so again, the question is not, you know, can I time my lease rate perfectly to save a dollar, two or three dollars a square foot? The question is, how can we get you the most competitive lease rate? How can we get you the highest amount of concessions? How can we protect you so that you're not exposed to the complications, pitfalls, delays? And how can we give you peace of mind that you pick the best property with the best terms and that you have the confidence to move forward on that next lease where you're not wondering, did I do this the right way? It's kind of like a patient comes in and says, look, there, there's two options for you. You can either rehab it here or we can do surgery. Like you want to know what's the best game plan, what has the highest probability for success. And then when the patient makes that decision, they're making it with, with, with information, with knowledge, and then they're going to hopefully have a relative level of peace to move forward with it, saying I, I'm making the best decision for my body or for my family, whatever it is. It's the same thing for real estate. You, you have to deal with a transaction if you're an existing practice and you have a lease coming up, you either have to renew, you have to relocate, you have to go purchase. So how can we get you the best deal possible with what's available in the current market with your requirement and the, in the area that you want to be? I think that that's really insightful. And I, I was curious, you know, given today's higher interest rates, um, are there still benefits to buying over leasing? And, and now specifically talking on the commercial side, um, wanted to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, that's a great question. And so, um, yes, there are uh, a significant amount of benefits to owning commercial real estate. If it's the right property, if it's going to fit your, your needs for the next, you know, 10, 15 plus years. Um, I tell I tell everyone I speak with, yes, interest rates are higher right now than they were a few years ago. However, interest rates are actually touching where they were uh, back in the early 2000s, 2006. I mean, I mean, there was there were higher there were higher rates then than they are now. And yet, there's a lot of people that open practices in 2004, five, six, seven, eight, nine that have now been in practice for 15, 20 years and. Like if you ask them, do you wish you would have waited until rates came down five or 10 years later? They'd say, absolutely not. Like, I mean, you know, yes, you want the lowest interest rate. There's no question, but it doesn't, it's not going to make or break your practice. Or if it is going to make or break it, it's too tight of a margin. You shouldn't be buying the property. Um, the other thing too is, you know, if you look at an interest rate, you know, chart over the last like 30 years, like, yes, they're going up. They're going to come back down again. They're going to go up again. <laughs> I mean, that, that that those are interest rates. We just came off of the lowest interest rates uh, America has ever seen, right? People don't. I mean, a lot of people don't remember what happened, and I was too young to know what my parents were doing. But I mean, like people were buying houses with seventeen percent interest rates in the early eighties. Like today, like people are complaining if it's a, if it's a four percent versus a three and a half rate. I mean, like we have no precedent um, for you know what's happened in the past. But long story short, um. If it's the right property with the right location and you can get a great build out there and you're going to be happy there for the next 10, 15 years and the numbers work today and you can afford it, by all means, purchasing is a tremendous way to build additional wealth, to create a second asset. You have your practice now and the real estate. You pick up significant tax deduction. You can depreciate the real estate. Um, every month you cut a check, you're paying down principal, which means your net worth goes up every month that you pay a payment to your lender, your net worth goes up, your practices balance sheet goes up, depending on how it's structured. And then my my position is 
just refinance when the market cracks. I mean, that's that that's the game plan. So do I think interest rates are going to be at what they are right now for the next 10 years? No, I, I think they're going to, they might even go up another, you know, another margin or two, which they're projected to. But once inflation tames further or it gets under control, which eventually it will, rates will come down again, will drop them again. And again, will we see, will we see prime at zero like we did, you know, two years ago? Maybe, probably not. I don't, maybe, who knows, but it doesn't have to be a zero for it to still be a phenomenal investment. Um, me, all I do is commercial real estate. I would have no issue buying a commercial asset or a residential asset right now if the numbers worked and I liked it. And yeah, my margin is going to be a little tighter right now, but I'm going to refinance in, in 18 months or two years or whenever the rates come back down again. And I'd rather own commercial real estate and have a little bit of a tighter margin and refinance in the future um, than, than not if the deal makes sense. I love that. That's great advice for all of our listeners out there. So, um, and I think that it makes, it makes perfect sense for what you're saying. Kind of we're, we're coming out from real historic lows. And so, um, you know, there's always that ability to, to refinance if, if needed. Um, shifting a little bit now to residential, obviously I know you focus, um, your efforts on commercial, but you're very, you know, an expert in, in the whole real estate field. Um, we, you know, at Pacific companies, a lot of times we'll be placing doctors um, that are moving into more rural areas um, and wanted just to know if you had any insights about trends that you're seeing in kind of those you know, s- smaller markets that, um, you know, doctor may be relo- relocating to um, that is really in need of their services. And they're, you know, these might be great communities, but just they're not as familiar with with the location. So how should they really approach real estate in, in those uh, markets? Yeah. So one of the benefits about residential real estate is you're talking about purchases, or at least we're talking about purchasing residential real estate. Um, those are all publicly recorded transactions. And in, in most states, you can just get on the county assessor's website and you can see what the what the house uh, was sold for. Um, you can call a title company and have them do what's called an O&E, an ownership and encumbrance search. And they can tell you what the person paid for it. They can tell you who the lender is. They can tell you how much they finance. What the I mean, those are all public recorded documents and those are debt instruments. And so that's one of the benefits of residential is you can get a lot of information. Um, whereas at a lease, it's more challenging. Like you go to do a lease in a property that's on a hospital campus, that landlord is not recording those leases. Nobody knows what each tenant's paying. If they're on a one-year lease, a five-year lease, they don't know if they gave this doctor half a million dollars to build it out and they gave this doctor nothing. So that's why commercial real estate's a little more, or not a little, it's more complicated um, and it's more confusing because most of the commercial real estate transactions that are leases are not not recorded. And even when they say they're recorded, it's typically inaccurate information. Something's off somewhere. But residentially, you can you can find out what people paid in the neighborhood. You can you can have a, a good real estate agent, um, you know, pull a, a comp report, and they can say, hey give me the list of all the houses that have sold the last two years, what they sell for, and you get more information there, which is great. Um, when it comes to residential, uh, t- here's what I'll tell you. If you think you're going to be happy in that house, in that area for you know two to five years, my recommendation is great. If there's a good property, you like it, you'll be happy there, the numbers work, go for it. If you say, hey, I'm probably not going to want to live here for more than a year or two, you have to be a little more careful because there's a cost of getting in and out of properties. It's not as expensive as commercial, but 
you know, you you are going to probably list the house with an agent if you want to sell it. You're going to pay commissions to your agent and then pay commissions to the buyer's agent as well. That's how real estate works. The seller pays those commissions. If you're buying it, you're not paying anything. If you're a tenant as a prov provider, you're not paying your your agent paid by the landlord or seller. But if you do want to get back out of it and you're the owner now, you know, you might pay, you know, that five or 6%. So, you know, if you see yourself there for two to five years or more, you like the property, um, even if rates are higher, I have less hesitation. If you say, hey, I'm going to be here for a year or two, you know, probably want to get out of here. Maybe it makes sense to buy, but maybe, or maybe you buy something that's more conservative and then you look for the real property that you want to go after, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice. And especially when, you know, some of our physicians may be trying new areas, like you're saying, and, and seeing, okay, after a few years, like, you know, do I really like this area? And maybe where's my dream home within within that community? So I love that. That's great advice. There's a lot of people that that so I don't want to rent and there's nothing wrong with renting. Okay. I mean, if you go if you go rent a house for a year and then that helps you to better understand the 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 neighborhood you want to be in or the suburb you want to be in. It's, it's a lot better to rent, even if you overpay by a couple hundred dollars per month or something like that, than it is trying to, you know, get out of a property that you purchased that you don't want to be in after a year and maybe spending, you know, 30, 40, $60,000 in commissions to get out plus other fees or you lost. I mean, it's expensive to get in and out of real estate if you're doing it every year, if the market's not going up. And right now the market for residential is softening, going down. So if you want to be there for a while, great, but don't be afraid to rent a house for six months or a year and then go find your the exact property that you want to be in and then capitalize that way. Love that. That's that's that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> a great way to think about things. Um, lastly, Colin, I wanted just to get your, you know, you we're talking in the beginning a lot about kind of lease terms for commercial. Are there, you know, from your perspective and your experience, are there typical terms that you know, physicians should be looking for, watching out for, if it's a certain amount of time, would love to your insights there. Yeah, that's a great question. So, so yes, there's definitely things that you want to be looking for. And they're technically categorized into two different places. You've got the economic terms, like the lease rate, obviously is going to capture everyone's attention, but also annual increases. The vast majority of leases increase every year. They have a built-in increase. That's a standard concept. So that's an area where you really want to pay attention to um, concepts like like you should never be paying during your build out. Like if you're renovating a space or building it out, you should never be paying for a space that you're working on. Either even if you're occupying it on a renewal, you still still should not be paying rent during a renovation. So free build out period or free renovation period that's a big one. And then also free rent once the the new lease commences. And people will say, well, I'm sure you're not getting free rent even on a renewal. It's like, well, absolutely you would. The landlord, if the landlord can give free rent to a new tenant, why wouldn't an existing tenant be able to capture the same economic benefits as a new tenant? They might not capture all of them, but they should still be looking for the same concessions that a new tenant would get. It's the idea of, look, I've been here paying you rent faithfully for 5, 10, 15 years. Why would you treat a total stranger better than you're going to treat me? I mean, that's that's the concept there. So free rent's a big one. Um, and so there's other things like tenant improvement allowances, et cetera. Um, if you're doing a lease renewal and you need new flooring, new paint, or other other concepts, new lighting, new window treatments, you know you should be looking for the landlord to, to contribute money towards that space because if you move out, they're certainly going to be replacing the carpet for the next tenant or doing a build out for the next tenant. So 
uh, a lease renewal, you should always be getting money or some concession from the landlord to renovate that space. And then, you, so there's other concepts there that you could pay attention to. I don't need to get too exhausted, but there's other things that are financially driven. And then there are concepts that are that are not economic driven, they're business deal points, but they have an economic impact. For instance, if you want to sell your practice, what type of an assignability clause do you have to get not only to transfer your practice to the new buyer, but you need to make sure that you're fully released from that obligation. A lot of times people will say, well, yeah, I have an assignability clause, but if you get into the fine print, it says, yes, you can assign your practice, but you might still stay on there as a personal guarantor. That's the worst place you could possibly be as a healthcare provider is you don't have the legal right to even set foot into the practice anymore because you sold it. The patient base is now the new person's and yet your name's still attached to them paying the rent. And if they don't, the landlord could pursue you for a judgment on that obligation. And that happens to healthcare providers all the time. And they'll say, well, no, I had a sublease provision or I had an assignability provision. You might've had it in your lease, but it was not the right one. You didn't have the right language. How you say it is very important. So assignability provisions, personal guarantees. What's the personal guarantee on your lease? Um, death and disability is a big one. Uh, do, you, do you have an option to purchase the property? Do you have an option to expand into any adjacent space? Do you have a first round of refusal? Do you have a renewal option? Um, do you have exclusivity? Like if you're a specialist, maybe you don't care if, if someone with the exact same specialty comes and posts up right next door to you or down the hall or, or, or in the center. But a lot of specialists would like to say, hey, I don't mind competition. I can't stop competition, but go down the street. Like, <laughs> Don't like, don't have... I don't want to park next to my my competitor in the same parking lot and walk in and you know you know our two signs are next to each other in the building. Um, so if you want exclusivity, there's concepts like that. So economic considerations and then business considerations. And, and here's what I'll tell you: a lot of times when you we talk about the economic part, people say, "Well, that's my real estate agent," and then they'll say, "Well, the business part, that's my attorney." Yes, there's a level of truth there. But a lot of these business deal points should be dealt with by your real estate agent in the initial negotiations. Your attorney should take what your real estate agent negotiated and they should make sure that the terms in the lease reflect that. And that's where you take like maybe, maybe it was a two sentence um, deal point you negotiated that turns into two pages in the lease. Like the letter of intent might be a one or two page document. The lease is literally a 70 page document. So your real estate agent negotiates the fundamental ideas like the lease rates, the terms, some of the deal points. And then the attorney's job is to take what was negotiated and make sure that the lease actually says what you intended it to say and that you are protected as the healthcare provider. And so that's why you want a combination of a good real estate attorney and a good real estate agent. It's not one or the other. You need you need both. It's like saying, well, you know, if you're a physician or practice, do I need to have a good, you know, a good nurse or a good doctor? It's like, well, no, you want both. They, they, they have different functions. They could overlap in a couple areas, but ultimately there's, there's a, a reason you want both, not one or the other. That is super helpful. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I love that analogy too. <laughs> um, well, this has been great, Colin. I think these are some amazing tips and just insights for you know, all of the healthcare providers listening to really help them maximize their profitability, you know, through real estate. So really, really appreciate your time. I uh, would love to to give our, you know, listeners um, the opportunity to learn how, how they can find you and more about, um, you know, your um, whole group. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with our company, 
um, is our website. It's car.us. So C-A-R-R.us. Upper right-hand corner of our website, you can click to find an agent. You can click to get uh, a free lease evaluation or purchase evaluation. And then we've got a tremendous resource tab where if you want to get educated, like you don't have to be educated in real estate. You can let your agent do everything. But if you want to get educated with like FAQs, glossary, um, other concepts as far as how you can capitalize on your next transaction, we, we literally have hundreds of resources on our website that are educational based to help give healthcare providers as much information about our world as they would like to get. So website's the best way. And I would tell you, if, if you have a transaction coming up in the next 24 to 36 months, it's not too soon to start. You might not start negotiating tomorrow, but knowing the direction you want to go, knowing what your options are, knowing the proper timing is very important. A lot of healthcare providers start start too late in the transaction and the landlords know that they don't have a good strategy. They don't have enough time to go build out the new space or relocate. And when you end up talking to a landlord and they know that you are, you are behind the hate ball, um, you will not see the most favorable terms. It will cost you a lot of money. So timing it is important. You don't want to be too early, but you don't want to be too late. A good real estate advisor can help help figure out what's the perfect timing for the transaction that you want to uh, proceed with. Amazing, amazing advice. Well, thank you, Colin, so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.